I don't know if you follow me on Instagram. You probably don't. It's fine. I'm not mad about it. Um, at Colton Bourne, if you want to. Um, but I'm actually married, as of today, 52 days to my wonderful wife, Abby. Yeah. She's pretty awesome. I like her a lot. Uh, she's beautiful inside and out. So thankful for her. She truly is the greatest blessing that God could have ever given me. It's seriously incredible. She's amazing. And uh, we were just talking the other day about how people love to ask us this one question. And maybe those newlyweds here in this room or at other locations, you can relate to me. But people love to ask us this question. They love to ask us, how's married life? How's married life? It's like, dude, I don't know. You've been married 19 years. You tell me how's married life. It's just a ridiculous question. Anyway, so I've had to answer this question probably a million times, and I've given probably a million answers to this question, but kind of the answer that I've dialed in on over time is this. Married life is awesome. I would 10 out of 10 recommend it. 11 out of 10 recommend it. It's great. But I think my favorite thing about married life is that it gives you a whole new level of self-perspective and awareness. A whole new level, like you don't even know, of self-perspective and awareness. Because now, it's not just me doing my thing. Now, somebody else is seeing 24-7, 365, everything that I'm doing. And they're bringing some of that stuff up to me, right? And sometimes it's stuff that I don't know about, and that's great. It's like, hey, here's this thing you do. And I'm like, oh, man, I had no idea. But then sometimes it's stuff that you kind of already knew about. But when you were single, you didn't really have to deal with it, right? But now, because they're bringing it up to you, you're like, all right, fine, we're going to handle this. Right now, great. I just was hoping to eat breakfast, but I guess not. So, so here's an example of this. Recently, I was laying on our couch. I almost said my couch, but you can't say my, it's not my couch. It's our, actually, it's really your couch. So <laughs> we just got married, right? So, so, so our couch, and I, I don't know about you, but when I lay on the couch, I'm laying on it the long way. You know what I'm saying? Like full length, because this is a big, you know, I'm tall, got a big frame. I can't just sit on the couch. I got to lay on. So I'm laying on the couch. And I'm hanging my feet over the side of the couch. And on my feet, I have the most wonderful, the most cozy house slippers. Is anybody else a house slipper person in this place? Man, may the favor of God be on you. House slippers, they're incredible. They're so cozy. My dad gets me a pair of these house slippers. I kid you not, every single year on Christmas, I get a box, and it's like, I know what that is. So, Dad, big shout-out to you. Um, so I'm wearing my house slippers, and this is last year's pair, so I've had these for over a year. And, of course, because I'm not a psychopath, I wear them without socks on. So I'm barefoot in my house slippers. You probably see where this is going. So my wife, she walks past me this night that I'm laying on my couch in my house slippers. And she does this thing, gentlemen, maybe you've seen this before, where it's like she hits a wall, but there's really no wall there. It's a wall of scent. So here's what happens. <laughs> so she's walking, minding her own business, and then it's like, boom. It's like she's Matrix dodging bullets, you know? <laughs> she looks at me, she goes, is that your feet? She doesn't sound like that, but that's how it felt, right? Is that your feet? Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't know who else's feet it's going to be. Like, it's probably my feet. That's bad. <laughs> Italics on that one. Yeah, I mean, did you expect them to smell like roses? Like, I don't know what you wanted. They're my feet. Like, they live in shoes. It's not good. You need to do something about that 
right away. And at this moment, I do exactly what my premarital counselors told me to do. I say something defensive and sarcastic, completely diffuse the conversation. Very mature of me. <sighs> if you ever want marital counseling, seriously, don't call me, ever. <laughs> it's so bad. And, and the conversation fizzles out. A couple hours later, my favorite part of the day, maybe I'm weird, I think you guys probably relate, though, is when I'm climbing into bed. You know what I'm talking about? Your feet just kind of slides under the sheet, and you're like, oh, this is better than I thought it was going to be. Slide my feet in under the sheets. And in this moment of ecstasy, from my side, did you wash your feet? <laughs> no, of course I didn't. What, do you really think I was going to? You needed to wash those it promptly, immediately. Yes, ma'am. So I go, <laughs> I'm not sleeping on the couch. I like laying on the couch, but I'm not sleeping on the couch. So I go, I wash my feet in the shower, and then I go to the garbage, and I throw the slippers away. And now they're gone. The slippers are gone. So dad, you know what to do. Get another one of those in the mail. Be very important. But when I was single, like I would never have this problem, right? Because I knew my feet don't smell that great. But I was the only one who had to deal with them. So I wasn't really going to do anything about it, right? But when you get married and there's somebody else who's having to live with your stank, you're going to probably have to handle it. And I was no longer able to ignore, just like a high schooler can have selective hearing, and when his mom is calling up to him and goes, hey, come downstairs and do the dishes, it's like, can't hear you. Got to play with some video games, you know, listen to music, whatever. And then five minutes later when she's like, dinner time, it's like, oh, my God, I'll be there immediately. Like, I'm on my way. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. I get hungry sometimes. Just like a high schooler can have selective hearing, I think that sometimes as adults, we can have selective sight. Selective sight, where we don't see the things that we don't want to see, and we see the things that we want to see, because we don't want to be uncomfortable about the lives that we're living. Can anybody relate to me? Does anybody you think maybe suffer from this a little bit occasionally? So there's a passage in Scripture, Luke 7. We're going to start here, verse 36. It's on the screen behind me. If you don't have your Bible, it's totally cool. But it's a story of a man in Scripture that we find who suffers acutely, I will say, from selective sight. So let's read this together. It says, afterward, a Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. And in the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets. Other translations say this woman is a prostitute. So an immoral woman means a prostitute. Other translations say sinful woman. She's a sinful woman, a prostitute. When, oh, it says it right there. Fantastic. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religion leader, religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken, catch this, and weeping. She covered his feet with the tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet, and she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. And when Simon saw what was happening, he thought to himself, this man can't really be a prophet, because if he really were, he would know 
that there's a prostitute touching him right now. So Jesus said, heard that, right? Hearing his thoughts, classic Jesus. Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. He answered. It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000. The other only owed $10,000. So a lot of money, a little money. Next verse says, when it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. So Simon, tell me, which of the two debtors would be the most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I can do math, Jesus. Obviously, it's the one with who the greater debt was owed and then forgiven. Jesus said, of course, you're right. And then, verse 44, a question that hangs in the air. We're going to come back to in a second. It says, Jesus says to Simon, do you see this woman? Then he spoke to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Don't you see of this woman kneeling here, she is doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her hair, with her many tears, and then dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven all of her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. <laughs> then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. The title of my message today, you can write this down, is what do you see? What do you see? Let's pray and get into it. God, we love you. Thank you for this chance to be in your presence today. We pray that you would move in these moments, change our lives, change our hearts. We want to look more like you as we go our way after church today, as we leave these locations, as we close our computer, whatever it is, God. Speak to us. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. There's no way that Simon could have known what was going to happen when he invited the new guy to have dinner with him and his friends, right? There's no way that Simon could have known what was about to happen. You see, Simon was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This guy was a legend, right? And a Pharisee is somebody who is so devoted, so focused, so intentional, so cued in on being righteous. He was a card-carrying member of the Hebrew religious elite. This guy was like our modern day. He's going to the Monday night small group. He's going to the Wednesday night prayer meeting. He's going to the Friday night worship night, youth night. He's going to the Saturday night, all of them. He's going to the Sunday, all of them. He's going to the Sunday night pot. Like he's doing it all. He's got little doilies with verses memorized, a script, uh, written on them. He's got all this stuff going on. He was legit. And the Pharisees, they truly believed. The reason why they did all of this was because they thought to themselves, hey, we got to love God the most. In our community, somebody's got to love God the most, so it might as well be us. We're pretty cool, right? That's what they thought. They thought, we love God the most. And unfortunately, over time, that devolved into self-righteousness and pretentiousness and pride. And what's crazy is these people who, catch this, loved God the most, right, 
when Jesus showed up, who we believe is the son of God, the personification of God in human form, when Jesus showed up, they didn't like him. They loved God, but they didn't like Jesus. What a sad twist of fate. What an incredible irony. So, so I can see how this is going. Right? Awkward first date, Simon and Jesus. Simon, they're all eating dinner. They're hanging out. And somebody leans over to Jesus and goes, Jesus, okay, between you and me, not to tell anybody, do you really think you're God? Because it, you know, I won't, it's fine, just tell me. Jesus is like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Conversation starts going. Stuff starts flying around. People are getting tense. It's getting angry. You know, Larry's got to go to the bathroom and open up his meditation app. He's like, I got to chill out, man. My blood pressure, this isn't good. You know, he's freaking out. It's not good. And the conversation gets nastier and nastier and tense and stuff is going on. And it's just getting more and more. And at the fever pitch, in walks a woman into a room full of men 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Crazy. Only in the Bible, right? This woman walks in, and immediately the forks clash to the plates. The record players, you know, music turns off. And everybody quiets down and looks up. And they're like, oh, gosh, what's going on? This woman walks over to Jesus' feet immediately, overcome with the emotion and conviction that comes from being in the grace and love that is present in the presence of Jesus, begins to weep uncontrollably. And she starts to wash his nasty feet with her hair and anoint them with perfume. And now there's makeup and tears and dirt and nasties and perfume is all washing together. And she's got puffy red under her eyes. She's a hot mess, but this is a beautiful moment. A beautiful, powerful, wonderful, gut-wrenching, extravagant moment of worship like we read in the text. Nobody dares to speak except our boy, Simon. Granted, he doesn't say it out loud. He says it in the back of his head. But he says to himself, this is how I kind of picture him saying it. What a joke. I'm supposed to believe this guy's God. I don't even believe he's a prophet. I don't believe he's even all there. This guy seems crazy to me. If he was anything, if he had any sense about him, he'd know that this woman doesn't belong anywhere near him or me or my friends. What a perfect pair. A liar, crazy lunatic, and a prostitute. These guys don't belong here. That's what he's saying in the back of his head. Jesus, hearing Simon's thoughts, right, swivels in his chair. Heard that. Look out. He tells the story of the two debtors, the master. And then he says that question, verse 44. We can pull it up again. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? And it's a rhetorical question, so we don't see an answer recorded from Simon. 
but I don't think that we need one in order to know what his answer is. I think that Simon, his answer to Jesus' question, do you see this woman? No. No. Of course, Simon could see the woman physically. He had working eyes. But could he really see the woman? Could he really see who she was beneath the surface, beneath her reputation, beneath what other people had said about her? Could he really see her value, her worth, her importance, her humanity, her soul? Could he really see her? Can you see this woman? Simon, when you look at this woman, what do you see? Jesus, I don't see a woman there. All I see is a sinner. That's what he said in the text. Simon, you can write this down. Simon saw a sinner where he should have seen a soul. Simon looked into the eyes of that woman and said, you're just a sinner. And I don't really want you at my dinner party anymore. And now this is the point, I don't know about y'all, I grew up in church. Now this is the point in the message where all the good Christians in the room and all the pastors love to just be like, Simon's the worst. I hate Simon. Simon doesn't belong in my church. I would never be like Simon. I would never treat somebody like that. I would acknowledge her humanity. I would pay attention to her. I'd love her like Jesus. I'd do all the right things. I'd say all the right stuff. I'd pat her on the back and give her a hug and read her a Bible verse. And Simon, oh my gosh, Simon doesn't belong in my small group. Simon doesn't belong in my church. Simon is the modern day homophobe, bigot, racist, sexist, classist jerk. Simon's the worst. That's what we get in our heart. But before you climb up a little too high on your pedestal there, religious churchgoer, Colton born, when I'm honest with myself, when I'm real with myself, when I'm true to myself, and really think about how I live my life, If I'm being honest, more than I'd care to admit, I see myself as Simon. Hey, this is Levi. Don't worry, the teaching will continue momentarily. But I wanted to interrupt just to talk to you about our Fresh Life Summer Internship that's coming up May through August. And we're welcoming in people 18 to 25 from anywhere uh, to be a part of what God's doing here at Fresh Life. We're also able to offer college credit Uh, I just want to say that an internship changed my life drastically because it was during my wife doing an internship that we met and we would never have met without that internship. I can't guarantee you will meet a spouse if you do this internship, but I can't say you won't either. So why don't you visit freshlife.church slash internship to find out more information and to get your application in. We would love to have you. All right, back to the teaching. I see myself as Simon. I think sometimes we can all see ourselves as Simon. And there's a couple of things that Simon did in this text that I want to work through quick here. A couple of things that Simon did in this text that I think we do sometimes. The first thing that Simon did in this text that we're going to look at is Simon labeled. Labeled. Simon labeled others in order to separate himself from them. Simon said, that woman is a sinner, label. And that means that she goes over here, 
I go over here. That means that she's a sinner and I'm not. That means that she can stay as far away from me as possible, right? He labeled her so that he could distance himself from her. And we do this. We do this on the daily, folks, because we pull away from the drive-thru and we just had an unsavory interaction with a guy who's getting paid minimum wage and probably slept three hours last night. <laughs> and we say to our significant other, man, she was so rude. Label. I'm never going to that drive-thru again. Man, my kid's teacher is so mean. Label. She gave him homework. <laughs> my coworker's so lazy. Label. All he does is watch Sports Center all day, right? My husband's feet are so smelly. <laughs> Just going to leave that there. But we label people. And what this does is it spirals downward eventually. It's a self fulfilling prophecy because what happens when you say somebody's mean? You're mean. The next thing that they're going to say to you, regardless of what it is, is going to sound mean because now that's the filter you're seeing everything that they say through. And now when they're trying to be nice, you think they're being mean. And then how do you respond to mean people? I'm usually mean. They're mean. I'm mean. They're mean again. And now it's this horrible, awful experience. And good person 101, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, is leave people better than you found them. We are doing the exact opposite of that. We're leaving people worse than we found them because we labeled them. Can I take this a step further? Simon maybe didn't do this exactly, but I think that we do something a lot like this that personally I think is a lot worse. Because not only do we put our own labels on people, but we also take labels that people either have chosen for themselves voluntarily or that were placed upon them at birth voluntarily. Labels that people can't do anything about and labels that people have chosen freely. We take those labels and we twist them and we mar them and we redefine what they mean and then we use them as a weapon. And now we meet somebody and we find out this person's been divorced. Label. This person is separated. This person has had an abortion. This person is gay, transgender. This person's black, white, Hispanic, Latino. This person is a man or a woman or a Republican, oh my gosh, or a Democrat. And we say to ourselves, now I have ammunition. Now I have ammunition. And we go up into them and we say, because you're gay, you're an evil person. Because you're transgender, you're a bad person. Because you're a Republican, I can never talk to you. Because you're a Democrat, I can never talk to you. Because of the labels that are on you, I know everything about you. We do this. We do this all the time. And can I just say this right now, regardless of the labels that are on you, if you're listening to my voice right now, regardless of if you're gay, transgender, black, Hispanic, if you can't understand what I'm saying right now because you are a refugee or an immigrant in this country, I just want to say this. God loves you. God loves you so much. That's all that matters. Regardless of what you've heard in churches, regardless of what you've heard from your family, regardless of what you've heard on social media or the news, God loves you. We love you. That's all that matters, church.
And as God's people, we're going to try to love you like he loved you, but we don't do a great job all the time. And we end up looking a lot like Simon. It's the first thing that he did. The second thing that he did, Simon, he ignored people. Simon ignored the people that made him feel uncomfortable. Simon ignored the people that made him feel uncomfortable. You see, when Simon said about Jesus in the back of his head, man, if he knew that this woman was a prostitute, he wouldn't let her anywhere near him. It tells us all that we need to know about what Simon would have done if that woman came towards him on his side of the street, right? He would have been like, I am swerving out the way. I ain't going to talk to her. She makes me feel uncomfortable. And I'm going to say this. We do this in church a lot, especially in church. Want to know why? Because we have greeters. Oh, look at a new guy. Man, but I'm kind of tired. I'm kind of peopled out for the week. I'll let the greeter take care of that. That's the pastor's job. It's my favorite. That's the pastor's job. Bro, newsflash, maybe the reason why that person is in your life and in your line of sight is because the last 10 people that God has tried to get to acknowledge that person, to love that person, to show that person some respect. Maybe the last 10 people have ignored that person and now God brought that person into your life because maybe just maybe you'll finally be the person who shows them some love, who shows them some grace, who gives them a little bit of time of your day. Maybe, just maybe, you might be the greeter with no, I'm happy to help shirt on. Maybe, just maybe, you won't ignore the people that make you feel uncomfortable. But we don't always do that, do we? We don't always do that. At the end of the day, we value our feelings over people. Let me tell you what doesn't matter, your feelings. Let me tell you what does matter, people. Third thing that Simon did that we do, he pretended. Simon pretended that he had no responsibility when it came to dealing with the inequalities that existed in his society at that time. He pretended like he had no part to play in solving problems that existed in his community. He did this. We do this. Simon was in the perfect position. He, he was influential. He had leadership. He had clout. I hate that word. He had clout. He did, though. He was the perfect person to go up to that woman and say, I understand that the reason why you're a prostitute is because your father left you, your mother died, your husband didn't want anything to do with you, and now this is the only option that you had in order to economically sustain yourself and your children. So let me help you. Let me get some money together. Let's get some people together. Let's find a place for you to live. Let's get you off these streets. Let's get this pimp off your back. Let's get you into church. Let's get you into a small group. Let's get you a Bible. Let's get you, let me help you. He was the perfect person to help her. He could have done a lot, but he did nothing. <laughs> we do this. <laughs> we do this all the time because we say to ourselves, you know, it's terrible. World hunger. It's just the worst. Man, I wish I could do something about that. Hungry people. You know? So we go to Safeway, and we round up our check, 15 cents. And we say to ourselves, man, it's been a good 2020. <laughs> I'm such a good person. World hunger, coming at you, right? But then two weeks later, when we find out that our neighbor got laid off, what are we doing then? 
That's the real test. That's the real test. And you can't just click a button to make a real problem go away. You have to actually address it. But we don't always do that, do we? We pretend. The last thing that Simon did that we do is what your mama told you not to do. Your mama told you to say what you mean and mean what you say, right? So my mama told me. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Simon did the opposite. We do the opposite. We say what we don't mean, but we mean what we don't say. We say what we don't mean, but mean what we don't say. See, Jesus tells the story of the two debtors, right, in 41 and 42. They're going to put it up on the screen behind me. The story of the two debtors. And Jesus is basically like, all right, so here's two people. They both owed some money. One of them owed a lot. One of them owed, excuse me. A little, the, 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 the loan master forgave them both. So who's going to love him more? Simon's like, well, obviously the person who owed more and was forgiven more is going to love more, right? Really, though? Just pause there for a second. Do we really think that that's what Simon thought? Because Simon was a smart guy. I think he was smart enough to see that Jesus was writing him into the story. And he knew that if he said that, it was the right answer. But who did Simon see himself as in the story? I don't think that Simon saw, him as the per, as, saw himself as the person who owed more and loved more. I don't think that he saw himself as the person who owed less and loved less. I think that Simon made a third debtor in that story. And he was a debtor who owed less but loved more. He owed less but loved more. So when Simon gave that answer, he was saying the right thing. But he wasn't really saying what he thought. And then he looks to the woman and he says, that woman, that sinner, if I owe less and love more, then in the back of his mind, right, where only he could hear, except for Jesus and us, I guess, he said to himself, if I owe less and love more, then she must owe more but love less. He said what he didn't mean because it was the right answer. But he meant something that he would never say out loud. You are kidding yourself if you don't think that you do this at least occasionally. Because we love this. In 2020, we love this. We love to say the right platitudes because they sound good. But in reality, do we really believe them? We say things like, and I love this phrase, we say things like, it's all level ground at the foot of the cross. Brother. <laughs> we love that phrase, and it's great because it's true. It's true. You are forgiven regardless of what you've done. If you say yes to Jesus, yes, it is all level ground at the foot of the cross for all of us today. But can I ask you a question? Is it all level ground at your front door? Is it all level ground at the front door of your business? How about your family? How about your neighborhood? How about the church? You see, we say these big, beautiful statements because they sound great on Twitter. But in reality, if, our, if we actually believe them, our lives and the world <laughs> would look a lot different. Because we'd probably be doing something about the problems. We'd probably be doing something about the inequalities. But we don't. And instead, we say the right thing just to kind of shoo the problem away. But deep down, just like Simon, we believe things that we'd never, ever, ever 
using an Instagram caption, right? So those are the four things that Simon did that if we're honest with ourselves, we do. We do a lot. He labeled, he ignored, he pretended, and he said. Label, ignore, pretend, say. It reminds me a little bit of a verse in Matthew 15 where, again, interestingly enough, Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees. And he says this, quoting Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, nowhere to be seen, are far from me. Church, we have the best intentions, but when it comes down to it, the wrong actions. So what do you see when you look in the mirror? If I'm being real, I see Simon often. I think sometimes we all, when we're being true to ourselves, see ourselves as Simon. And that's a problem. It's a problem because we can't reach the people that we can't see. We can't reach the people that we can't see. So it's a problem that we see ourselves as Simon. Then what's the solution? I think the solution is that we flip the story. If the problem is that we see ourselves as Simon, then the solution is that we should see ourselves as the woman. We should, we can write that down, see ourselves as the woman. And the big difference between how the woman saw herself and how Simon saw himself, the woman, or sorry, Simon, he looked at himself and he saw lovely, right? Simon, I'm fabulous. I'm wonderful. I'm killing it. I deserve all the blessings that are coming my way from God. Simon saw himself as lovely, but how did the woman see herself? It's close, but different. The woman, when she woke up that day and went into that dinner party, and she finally made eye contact with Jesus, she didn't see herself as lovely. She didn't see herself as having anything to offer. But what she did see is that she was loved. Simon saw himself as lovely. The woman saw herself as loved. Loved. And if we want to see ourselves as the woman, then we need to realize, like the woman, that we need love. We need a serious kind of love. And this woman, it's amazing, this woman was a prostitute. Her whole life was built upon the next person, the next man, the next opportunity to sustain her economically, right? The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And even though we might not share her profession, church, we do share her business model. Because very often our life looks like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. How can I be more happy? How can I be more satisfied? How can I take care of myself better? So we go for another job, another promotion, another check, another sexual encounter, another relationship, another buzz, another high, another vacation, another experience, another thing, another mention on social media. And eventually we realize, oh my gosh, this isn't working. This isn't enough. I have a hole in my heart that I can't fill myself. And just like drinking salt water, the thing that we think is going to save us actually strangles us. Our thirst gets more and more intense. And eventually we find ourselves on our knees saying, I need help. I really need help. And then 
just like the woman, we go looking for that help. And it brings us to a house. And the people outside the house are saying, yeah, Jesus is in there. He's having dinner with a bunch of religious people. And we sit down, we take our seat, we walk in. And in the same room where Simon saw a sinner, what did the woman see? The woman saw her Savior. In the same room where Simon was so blinded, the woman saw her Savior. We see our Savior. And that changes everything, right? Because now no longer do I need to worry about taking care of myself. Now no longer am I worried about satisfying myself. I've been taken care of. I have been satisfied. I have been sustained. I have been fulfilled. That hole in my heart that I could never fill on my own has been. And now we're free. We're free from the things that were holding us back, free from the things that we were reliant on, but we're free to catch this. If we stop seeing ourselves as Simon and if we start seeing ourselves as the woman, we begin to be able to see others the way that Jesus sees them, the way that Jesus sees them. We're free to live a life that's bigger than ourselves. Live a life of loving others. Live a life of impact. Live a life, just like 1 John 4.19 says, of loving others because he first loved us. And when Jesus looked into that woman's eyes on that day, what did he see? He saw somebody. Jesus looked into that woman's eyes and said, I love you. You matter. You're important. You're valuable. You're going to do something amazing someday with this story. You are forgiven. I love you. I see you as somebody. And once we realize that God sees us as somebody, once we realize that we're loved, we can go out into the world and say, you're loved. God sees you as somebody. We can go out into the world and find the hurting people and find the broken people and find the people who just need something. Find the people who are on their knees and say, God loves you. This is our life. This is our calling. This is our job as Christians, as people. This is what our lives should look like. God, we love you so much. We're thankful for this time, getting to be in your presence. And we thank you so deeply that you see us as somebody. We had nothing to owe or nothing to offer, nothing to give, but you saw us as somebody. And that changed everything. We rest in that. We receive that. Now, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, and just like the woman, maybe you've been looking around. You've been looking for that thing that's going to take care of you and satisfy you, but you haven't found it. And maybe, just maybe, you're right now in this moment, in your heart, on your knees, saying, I need that. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to that love, to say yes to the way he sees you as somebody as important, as valuable. If that's you, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. I'm gonna have the church pray it along with you just to show that we have your back as you're making this decision. Let's say these words together, church. Let's say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I need your grace. Come into my life. Make me new from this day forward. 
I'm all yours.